Welcome to Arden First. Hope everyone is having a great start to your day. How many of you are ready for Thanksgiving? All right, how many of you still got a lot of shopping to do, some cooking to do? All right. Uh, before we um, celebrate, uh, we're going to show some pictures of our 60th. I'm just wondering, how many veterans do we have in the, the church today? We want you to stand. Please stand up. We want to recognize you. We apologize. Last week at so many events, we forgot to acknowledge you guys. So let's give them a hand. You guys may be seated. How appropriate to thank you guys during Thanksgiving week because you guys uh, have done so much for our country and it's on your shoulders that we stand for our freedom. Amen. So with, with Thanksgiving, we've got a few pictures. We had our 60th anniversary of the church. The church last month turned 60 years old and we had the fellowship hall packed out. Uh, we don't have a final count, but it was uh, a lot of people. That's a stretch picture. It's a little blurry. But uh, we want to thank Diana and all the chefs and everyone that helped cook and prepare. And we had some old-time members come back and join us, so that was, that was exciting. So, uh, you know, it brings us the question, what does God have for the next 60 years, should the Lord tarry? And uh, we're just thankful for all those of you who have been here any length of time, whether this is your first Sunday or whether you're a charter member, been here 60 years from day one. Uh, we look forward to what God has in store. We believe that the future of Arden First is as bright as the promises of God. And we just got to stand. Jesus said he would build his church, and we stand on that promise. Amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10. If you want to turn there, there's a listening guide in your bulletin. As you turn there, I came across a story recently. It was in New York City. There was a man that got hit during traffic, and he laid on the side of the road. And a minister was just finishing his job. He had a long day. It was one of those 12-hour work days. And uh, he was taking a little walk uh, down the street. And he noticed the gentleman pass by. And he decided to walk on the other side of the street. And he's like, i got to get home. It's rush hour traffic. And he was in walking distance to his house. So he passed by. So the next guy appeared on the scene. He was a deacon at his church. And they were preparing for the Christmas cantata, so he was getting all the stage ready and lights and trimmings of the Christmas festivities they have. And so he saw this guy, and he's like, you know, i got to get home. My wife's got dinner on the table. I, I, I can't stop and help this guy. Surely someone else, it's New York City. There's millions of people driving by. It's rush hour traffic. So he went to the express lane and went right by. So the next guy that drove up on the scene is this guy in this black Escalade. He is a notorious New York City gang member. And he saw the guy on the side of the road bleeding, wounded. So he pulled his black Escalade off the side of the road. And he gave mouth-to-mouth resuscitation to the guy. He put him in the back of his Escalade and drove him to the nearest hospital in New York. And uh, he, the guy didn't have any insurance on him. So he gave the, the hospital clerk, he said, here's my platinum visa, charge whatever needs to take place. And he said, I want you to have rehab ready for him because he's so wounded, he's going to need rehab. And I want you to put it on my bill and I'll come back and check. I'm going out of town business, but when I come back, I'm going to make sure everything's taken care of. So this story is found in Luke chapter 10, the Good Samaritan. 
And a lot of times we read this passage and we know about it, Sunday school. And Good Samaritan stands for a lot of things, but the illustration I gave at the beginning of the, the story is the Samaritan in biblical times would be like a notorious gang member. It would be like if a member of ISIS helped someone out. So Jesus makes the villain of that culture the hero of the story. So today we're going to talk about the essence of God's law. And a lot of times in church, people think of Christianity as this or that. And I know growing up, this was the thing that held me back. I was raised in a very good Christian home. My mother and dad, as the youngest of six, poured into me. But, you know, Satan kind of tempts you, and he told me, if you give your life fully to Jesus, there's all these rules and regulations. And if you've looked around, church people can be weird. You ever notice that? Look at the person next to you. A little weird. Just kidding. You guys are great. But, you know, I, I was around the, the country churches back in the day where if you got excited, you would run around the church and scream and shout. And I'm like, I, I don't know if I want that. That's not really me. So I thought if I surrendered to Jesus, I would have to do laps around the church or jump pews. How many of you have ever been a country church like that? Shouting, yelling. I mean, that's that's what I was exposed to in the high school I went to. So but what what the devil tried to keep me back was total surrender because the, the, the lie that I believed was Christianity is nothing but rules and regulations. And that's what I believed for a long time until when I was 14. I remember surrendering it all and said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And what, what I didn't realize was Christianity is about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And if you love God and love people, the rules take care of themselves. So that's what we're going to talk about today, starting in Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. And as we read this familiar text, I want you guys to look a little deeper into what Jesus is trying to tell us in this story. Verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So the lawyer answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A man went down from Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, and he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him. And he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii. And he gave them to the innkeeper and said to the innkeeper, Take care of him, and whatever you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer answered and said, he who showed mercy on him. 
Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Father, we thank you for your word. And this is a very familiar story we've heard many times. Even in our common culture, we hear people being the good Samaritan. But help us to really get at the main intent of what your word has to say to us. So please speak to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today I want to give you three aspects of God's law. Jesus approaches He's approached by this lawyer, and this lawyer said, you know, what do I need to do to be saved, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus summarizes, he allows the lawyer to summarize the law and did basically two things. And Jesus said, do this and you'll live. If you look at parallel passages, Jesus gave the same example of what's the greatest commandment. He said, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So we're going to unpackage this Good Samaritan story But we're also going to get at the essence of what Jesus is trying to bring about. What is the essence of God's law? So the first point is this. You cannot do anything to earn or deserve God's grace. So this whole story is set up up by this lawyer in verse 25 and verse 26. And this lawyer is not coming to learn from Jesus. He's coming to test Jesus, to trap Jesus. Because the lawyer wanted to get Jesus in trouble so they could have something to use against him. If you remember, friends, in a few weeks back in Luke 9, I believe it was 58, it was a turning point of the Gospel of Luke. And in chapter 9, it said that Jesus set his eyes toward Jerusalem. So from that moment on, Jesus was heading to the cross. So you have to look at everything in the context. Jesus was getting ready to be rejected by the lawyers, by the Pharisees, by the rulers, by the religious leaders. So it's interesting when he brings up this parable or this story of the Samaritan, he brings up someone who is rejected by others. So notice the lawyer tested him and said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So a few logical fallacies. Number one, how do you do anything to inherit something? Isn't an inheritance based upon being a part of a family? Can you do anything to inherit anything? That would be the first fallacy. The second, he said, what can you do? How many of you have ever studied world religions? Raise your hand. School, sociology, world religions. Well, the last time I checked, and there may be an exception. If it is, it's rare. But every world religion except for Christianity, you have to do something to live, have a better life. You can break down all the world religions, and I have a few in my notes. But Zoroastrianism, the person has to win over the struggle of evil. In, in Judaism, without Jesus, now how does, a, how does someone in Judaism how, how are they saved? Well, the Old Testament, they were always saved by faith. But when you take Jesus outside the scenario, well, you better perfectly keep the law of Moses, right? Um, Islam, you must obey the five pillars and go on Mecca, all that. Hinduism, you must purify yourself in evil and life after life. The idea is you want to be reincarnated, so you better purify yourself. In uh, Sikhism, you have to have proper worship and conduct have to be performed in order to be worthy of being saved. Confuse, Confucianism taught heaven and earth is possible, but only through conformity to the rules of society. Taoism, there's no harmony. This is as good as it gets. In paganism, you must appease, appease the gods or spirits in order to be rewarded. And we have paganism going on in Asheville. Atheism, believe it or not, it's a religion. Atheism is the belief that there's no god. So in order to have a happy life now, you have to have this set of rules 
and you either are against the rules, you're an anarchist, or you try to follow the rules and you're a good, good member of society to have a, a better life. So in every religion, there's two aspects. Number one, if you do this, it'll make your life better. And number two, there has to be this system of works or your belief system that brings some sort of salvation. So for those who don't believe in afterlife, it's still your best life right now. And if you follow these principles, you can be healthier, happier, and wise. Christianity, on the other hand, is the teaching that you can't do anything to earn God's grace or favor. Jesus Christ did what you couldn't do. What were the final words on the cross? Jesus said, it is finished. So it's been said by scholars in the past that religion is when man stretches towards God in his own efforts. That's religion. Christianity is when God stretches down and comes down to humankind so that we could be saved. So the, the lawyer, by the way, he's not a lawyer in this, this, the idea of a courtroom like we think of. He was a religious scholar. He knew the Old Testament better than just about anyone. And he came to Jesus and said, what do I do? So Jesus lays it out. What, what should you do? And the, the lawyer says, well, love God, love people with everything you've got. And what does Jesus said? Do this and you'll live. And we're going to talk about how he backpedals. So if you look on your listening guide, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, we're very familiar with this passage. It says, by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the what? The gift of God. And here's the beautiful thing about gifts. We're, we're approaching Christmas time. Whenever you're given a gift, in order for that gift to be useful and a blessing, you have to open it up. You have to receive it and open it up. And there are many Christians sitting on the church pew every week. You've received the gift, but you've never unpackaged it. You've never seen what's inside. How many of you remember the Cracker Jack boxes back in the day? They would have a little prize inside, but you had to open it up, right? And here's the beautiful thing about Christians. We're saved by grace through faith, not ourselves, the gift. But once you receive the gift, you still have to open it up. And here's the beautiful thing about all of you in this room. As believers, you have the fruit of the Spirit. It's one fruit, nine flavors, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So one fruit, nine flavors, but also you have at least one spiritual gift. Look at the person next to you and say you're gifted. The person that was asleep is now awake. You're gifted. So here's the thing. When the religious lawyer came to Jesus and said, what must I do? Jesus tells him what he has to do if he wants to follow the law. And we're going to break, unfold that in a minute. All right, number two, the second essence of God's law, you, you can't earn or deserve it, but number two, the heart of God's law is loyal love for God and others. So back to the religious lawyer, he answers the question that Jesus asked him. You ever notice that when someone asks Jesus a question, what does he do? He asks him a question back. That's called the Socratic method. Socrates would teaches people by if you really want to learn you got to ask a question so whenever you ask a question you ask another question and jesus would constantly be asking questions so verse 27 he answered and said this is a lawyer you shall love the lord your god with all your heart soul strength and mind your neighbors yourself and jesus said you've answered rightly and by the way jesus himself gives the same message in other passages about the essence of god's law love god love people so here's the thing about it the essence of God's law is summarized in one word. And what is that word? It's love. So me back to my pre-14-year-old self, 
I, I was taught if I serve God, it's going to be a little weird, rules, regulations. But what I didn't realize, love is the essence of Christianity. Think about the Ten Commandments. The first four commands deal with loving God, and the last six commands deal with loving people. If you love God, you're going to worship him, you're going to remember the Sabbath, you're going to do all the things pertaining to God. And if you love people, you're not going to you know, commit adultery, you're not going to steal the guy's dog, you're not going to commit murder. Everything flows through love. So it brings up the question of why are there so many rules in the Bible? You ever notice? The Old Testament, the Jews broke it down. There were 613 laws in the Bible. How many of you have perfectly kept all 613 laws in the Old Testament? <laughs> None of us, right? So why do we have so many laws in the Bible? Well, it's hard to know what love is until you see what love is not and how to show love. Because a lot of times we think of love as this metaphorical concept. It's an abstract idea. But the Bible lays out, here's how you love people. And by the way, when you do this, this is not loving. So reframe it to your mind. When God says to do this, it's not because he wants to make your life hard or difficult. He says, do this because I love you so much. And if you do it, your life's going to be much better. When God says, don't do this, like for singles, you know, keep yourself from marriage. He's not trying to keep you from fun. He's trying to say, if, if, you, if you don't do this, if you do this, it's going to hurt you. And I'm a loving father. And you take all the do's and all the don'ts of the Bible, it's, it's out of love for you. You guys ever realize that? It's all because of his love. So, since love is the greatest thing, how are we to show love? Well, if you look on your listening guide, love is in three dimensions. First of all, the lawyer says, the law says, you shall love the Lord your God. First of all, it starts with you. It has to be inward. Do you guys ever realize that you can't love someone if you don't have love yourself? You ever realize that? How many people in our culture don't just dislike themselves, but they hate themselves? And you may say, well, most people love themselves. That's true. But there are people that dislike themselves. They struggle with, with who they are, their identity. It's hard to give love if you don't love yourself. Most of us have no problem with that. But there are some people that do struggle with this, this self-hatred. But here's what I realized from Scripture. In order for you to have love, you have to have God in your life. Because 1 John 4, 8 says God is what? God is love. So it's hard for me to love until I have God living inside of me. So it has to be inward. But then it's upward. It says, you shall love the Lord your God. A lot of us want to have great relationships with other people. But if we don't have a great vertical love relationship with God, it's hard to love others. You know why? You and I, we get tired of each other. You and I stress each other out. There's drama. And if my focus, the, the primary love is towards God, eventually my love towards you is going to wane. So it has to start with love towards God because God's going to constantly fill me up so that way I never run dry. Jesus said it like this. Whenever you receive me, it's like this river of water is flowing through you. And by the way, as long as you're tapped into my river, you will never run dry. So the reason why we run dry with love is because we're focused on the horizontal. We're focused on people. And how many of us realize when you got people, you got problems, right? It's hard to love. But, you know, when you're focused on God and he's flowing in you, he can flow through you. And then it becomes outward. It's you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So get that order. It's got to start from within. God does something inside of you when Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, moves in you. Your focus is on God and then it flows outward. 
But notice how love should encompass your entire being. He said, you shall love God with what? All your heart. That's your feelings, your emotions, your attitude, your passions, your soul. What is your soul? Your soul is your innermost self. That's the core of who you are. Your strength, that's serving God with your physical ability, your service. And also your mind, that's your thoughts, your motives. Serving God with your reflections, your contemplations. So let me break this down into human terms so we get it. We've got some married couples here. We've got some singles. Let's say if you're married or one day we'll be married. Ladies, imagine if your future husband said, you know what? I love you with my mind, but I just don't see us as soulmates. There's just not that interconnection. How many of you ladies want to sign up for that? Or let's do it like this. You know what? Physically, you're beautiful, honey, but I don't, I don't really want to have a conversation with you. It's all physical, surface level. No guy would say that in his right mind. How many of you are like, oh, I want to sign up for that? Or ladies, how about if he says, you know, I'm going to love you, but I'm never going to take out the, the trash I'm never going to mow the yard. Anything physical, I'm just, you know, I'm just not wired that way. I'm more of a philosophical, we can have conversations, but I don't want to do anything. How many of you ladies want to sign up for a man like that? Survey says nobody. So when it comes to God, if we're honest with ourselves, most of us are good at maybe two or three. It's hard to be good at all four, but think about it. How many of us truly are emotional towards God? And you say, well, Timothy, I'm just not wired that way. Listen, if God is a consuming fire, and you may express it differently than I do, but there should be some emotions at least inward towards God. You know, it's like husbands, imagine if your wife says, I love you, I just don't have any feelings for you. You're just like, yeah, right. My wife, uh, my wife and kids are out sick today, so I'm going to tell a story since she's not here. But before I met Lori, um, I, I dated this girl for a little bit. And you know when my wife's out, I always give stories that she can't hear. But anyways, um, don't tell her. So, you know, I dated this girl in college, and I was going to do something surprising to her. So at the time, I was working at Chick-fil-A, Biltmore Square Mall. How many of you remember the Biltmore Square Mall back in the day? I was working there. You know, here's your Chick-fil-A on a bun. Eat out in the sun. Have a ton of fun. Chick-fil-A where it's fresh every day. I had all these rounds. Five years at Chick-fil-A working through college and, and high school and whatnot. So anyways, I decided to surprise this girl. She wasn't expecting me until school started back Monday. So I drove down all the way to Greenville, South Carolina. I showed up outside of her dorm room. I called her and said, look out your window. I'm here. And, you know, I had a bouquet of flowers. I can't remember what else I had, maybe some chocolates. But I showed up to surprise her. She came down. I kid you not, guys. No emotion. No reaction. Thank you. And I'm like, that girl's not for me. (laughs) I want a girl that's going to feel some emotion. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you did this. Within a week, I was out of that relationship because I wanted the emotion and the passion. I didn't want just thank you very much. I mean, it's like, come on. So love God with your heart, with your soul. That's like the core of me. That's everything I've got. With your strength. We may say, well, Timothy, I don't have much strength. Well, love God with what strength you do have. We're going to talk about that next week, Mary and Martha. And with your mind. This is for the high school students and the college students sitting in the room. I was never taught this in your in church, but did you know when you study and you do it for the glory of God and the growth of your mind, it's an act of worship, loving God with your mind? I mean, wow. So next high school, next time you have that quiz, if you study for God's glory, you're actually worshiping God with your mind. I, I was never told that in church. 
So now you, now you know. So Jesus summarizing it before we go to our last point. Jesus said, do this and you shall live. Now, at a cursory reading, it appears that Jesus is teaching works-based salvation. Because the guy said, love God with all that you got. Love your, love your neighbor. And Jesus said, okay, do this and you'll have eternal life. Well, Timothy, I thought you said salvation's a gift. I am. But Jesus is, 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 is setting this guy up. Because what he's saying, really, the only way to get to heaven outside of God's grace is to be perfect. Now, technically speaking, if you perfectly follow all 613 laws of the Bible, you'll make it to heaven. But guess what? None of us have ever done that. So the lawyer begins to backpedal and say, well, who then is my neighbor? You know, if my neighbor is just my family and my closest friends, I got it covered. So who is my neighbor? So there's two options. You, you can be perfect or you can know someone who is perfect, who pays the price for you. And that's, that's the only option is the second option, Jesus. All right, moving on, number three. And this is where we get into the whole, the whole story we're talking about. Number three, showing love for your neighbor means showing mercy to those God places in your pathway. So this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And by the way, it doesn't say the word parable in the Bible. So there are some who believe this is actual story. We don't know. Jesus tells a story. Most likely it's a parable, but it could have been a true story. We just don't know. So Jesus tells a story. And before we break it down, have you guys ever just blown it where you know the right thing to do, but you begin to justify yourself? This week I had that experience. Uh, My mom's sitting on the front row. So Um, we had this person associated with her family, not a family member. But last time I had a conversation with this person, it was a come to Jesus meeting because they were way out in left field. And, you know, your pastor, who's not confrontational, had a confrontation with this person and said, what you're doing is not right. The guy told me off. Let's just say this guy is an atheist, doesn't like God, doesn't like Christians from what I can tell. The last conversation he told me off. So I I go on my Facebook. This is, um, what was it, Mother Monday or Tuesday? And I see a friend request from this guy. And I immediately accept it. No, I denied it. I'm not adding this guy to I mean, this guy creeps me out. You know, whenever I'm around this guy, I feel dirt. I mean, and I'm starting to justify. So I denied the friend request. So my mother said, Timothy, this is my mother talking to me. How are you going to show the love of Jesus if you're excluding people from your life? I'm like, Mom, but he doesn't like me. Uh, there's nowhere in the Bible that says you sh- thou shalt be Facebook friends. At least... At least in the King James it does. I don't know about the message paraphrase, but there's nothing in the King James that says you've got to be Facebook friends. And we've got to love people. And Mama, I love him, but I don't like the guy. I don't want to be Facebook friends with this guy. So my mom just said, listen, how is he going to come to Christ if you're treating him that way? And I'm like, all right. So I talked to my wife. I have the Holy Spirit and I have the Lori Spirit, my wife. So I said, here's what my mama says. What do you say? So I'm getting feedback, and my wife says, your mama is right. You need to add this guy on Facebook. You need to show the love of Christ. And I'm like, and then I went through my whole justification. There's nowhere in the Bible. You're called to love but not to like. And I don't want this guy reading my profile and my pics. And, you know, I went through the list. And so then I prayed about it, and the Holy Spirit said, both your mom and your wife is right, and you're wrong, and you need to repent. So here I am, your pastor, getting ready to preach on showing love for those who are Unlike you, um, I already had prepared the sermon. Um, I had to get down and say, God, forgive me. 
So I added this guy on Facebook. I messaged him and invited him to our 60th Thanksgiving dinner. And by the way, he showed up. That was, no, he didn't show up, but he hasn't come yet. He's sitting in the congregation right now. No, he hasn't been yet. If he was sitting here, I couldn't tell the story. But I was wrong, and I was just like the lawyer. I was like, well, the Bible says. But you know, the whole essence is loving those who are far from God. So what Jesus does is he paints this story. And if you look at your listening guide, I won't go into great detail. But the idea is there is a guy... And he was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And by the way, a little background. Uh, I know Brother Martin's been to the Holy Land. Whenever the Bible talks about going down from Jerusalem, it's because Jerusalem is like a mountain compared to other parts. It's, I think, 2,600 feet or so above sea level. And Jericho, I think, somewhere around 680 below sea level. So it's a 3,300 feet drop approximately. So he went down from a mountain down as far as geography is concerned. So he's going down, and it was about a 17-mile journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. And here's the picture. This is interesting time of the year. I lead a men's Bible study in Waynesville, and it shuts down for the wintertime because most of my men go to Florida. You know why they go to Florida? That's where their winter home is. So in Jericho, that was where if you had wealth, you would have a little home in Jericho. It would be your winter mansion. And even King Herod had a winter palace in Jericho that had a swimming pool, believe it or not. So this guy that was going down, most likely he could have been wealthy, could have been going to his winter home. So when wealthy people are going along a little stretch, we have a little picture up here of the road to Jerusalem to Jericho. It's very narrow. There's caves. And then people can jump out of nowhere and surprise you. So here's the thing. If you were a robber and you know this is the time that wealthy people caravan to their winter home, guess what? Opportunity is happening. So this guy is leaving Jerusalem. We don't know why he was there. Most likely he was a Jew. Perhaps he had been worshiping, which if, we don't know if he was worshiping, but if he had been to the temple to worship, it makes this story even sadder. The very priest that was officiating some of the services is now passing you by. So he comes down and he's beaten and he's left for, for, for dead. And this priest walks by. And do you think the priest would be the one that would show him mercy, compassion? You would think, right? This would be like the senior pastor of the day. This is the senior pastor of the megachurch that's famous. Everyone knows him, and he just goes on. And we don't know the reasons why. Scholars have speculated. One reason is if you touch a dead body, what happens? You become unclean. In fact, some Jewish um, history has said that even if your shadow touches the body, even if you don't, your shadow touches the body, you'd be unclean. So maybe the guy's like, I don't need my shadow to touch it. I'm going the other side. The other possibility was uh, he didn't want to get mugged. That's what happens on this road. It's called also the road of blood because so many people lost their life on this stretch. We don't know the reason, but he decides to go on the other side, pass the guy by. Then comes the Levite. The Levite would be the person in the temple that assisted the priest. So in our modern day vernacular, this would be like the associate pastor or the deacon. The person that would assist the the priest, that would help out whatever's needed, would take care of some of the physical needs. So if the priest didn't help him, do you think the guy, the Levite, he's used to handling physical issues. Wouldn't he help him? But no, he passes on by. And then an unlikely person appears. And when you think of Good Samaritan, it brings warmth to your heart. You think of the Good Samaritan, you think of someone that has done a great deed. 
I was hearing a recent story about a person that was going to fly uh, the mother and their little child, like a three-year-old, on a flight. And the mother didn't realize once a kid hits like two years old, you can't fly on the lap. There's a certain age restriction. So she didn't have the $700 last-minute flight for the little kid. And she's like, I don't have the money, but i got to go. And someone in line behind the lady said, I'll pay for your child. And the, the woman at the desk said, you'll do what? That's 700 some bucks. So the person paid it, and it became known as a good Samaritan. And we use that term a lot. But the Samaritan was not a good term for that culture. This would be like saying ISIS member, gang member. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews, which is unfortunate because God is not for prejudice of any kind. But they were hated. And Jesus makes the person that's hated the hero of the story, the good Samaritan. So I was reading uh, CBS Anchorman. You may remember Hugh Rudd. He was a CBS Anchorman. He got mugged outside of his New York apartment. And he laid there from 2.30 in the morning till when the sun rose. And he said people would go from their theater, you know, from out at, late at night. This was in New York. And they would pass him right by. Even his very own milkman saw him and passed him right by. And it's like, why didn't anyone help him? It's just our culture. Another story. A woman, she was laid unconscious in a convenience store. She laid there for 10 minutes. I kid you not. I wish I had the video. While people would step over her to finish their groceries. Didn't help, no one helped the lady for 10 minutes. And you think about it, you're like, oh my goodness, why? We all have that heart in us to avoid. We all have that heart, well, someone else will help. But the thing about the Good Samaritan, it teaches us that God loves everyone and he breaks down the barriers of neighborhood. Who is your neighbor? Anyone God places in your way that has a need, that's your neighbor. And you're like, well, that's a lot of people. Well, God will, God will use you and he'll give you discernment. And some of you are thinking, well, I can't help everybody. No, but you can help the people that God places. You can help the people that God moves on your heart. So I want you to write this down. This is a while back, a few months ago, I gave you guys a little formula. This helps us understand why the priest and the Levite walked away. R plus R minus R equals, see, I remember R, rules plus regulations minus relationship equals rebellion. So for those of you who have teenagers in your life, whether kids or grandkids, if you have rules and regulations, but there's no relationship with you or the parents, guess what they're going to do? They're going to rebel. That's the formula. If you're in church and there's rules and regulations, but there's not a big relationship with God or other people in the church, guess what you're going to do? You're going to rebel. And that's the way it is with the, the priest and the Levite. They have the rules and the regulations, but somehow the relationship with God was missing. Let me give you another formula. This is new. Uh, this is the L plus L minus L equals L. You guys didn't know you're going to have math formula today. But this will help you to understand what was going on. Law plus legalism minus love equals lifeless. Law plus legalism minus love equals lifeless. So in the Good Samaritan, what we realize is God used someone that you wouldn't think would be used by God. This is the person that was looked down upon by society, God used them. And he used the person that people would see as the villain, and he made the villain the hero. And some scholars have looked at this passage, and at least by analogy, draw an analogy. You know, we know in every passage it points us back to Jesus, back to the cross. So in this passage, how, where is Jesus at? 
Where is he at? Is Jesus would be most like the priest or the Levite or would Jesus be most like the Samaritan? What do you guys think? Probably most like the Samaritan. Because realize the Samaritan was the person that was rejected. And Jesus was getting ready to be rejected by his own people. The Samaritan helped someone that was broken and hurting and half dead. And Jesus comes to us in our brokenness who are spiritually dead. And you know what he does? He pours out his love, his oil, and his wine. And he heals up our wounds. He puts us in his arms and he carries us. And in John 14, Jesus said, In my Father's house there's many mansions. It also became translated rooms, dwelling places. He has an end for us. He has a place for us. So I want to encourage you guys just to kind of summarize this message. What is the essence of God's law? The essence of God's law is love. And we can have all the Bible verses in the world memorized like the priest or the Levite. The priests would have a lot of the Old Testament memorized. But you know what? It all summarizes into this. Love God, love people. Romans 13.8 says, if you love God and love people, if you love your neighbors yourself, Romans 13.8 says, it fulfills all of God's law. So the next time you see someone in your pathway that's hurting, maybe God would call you to be like the Good Samaritan. But the big overall theme I want you guys to get, we often get the, the love others, is God's grace, you can't earn or deserve it. I think that's one of the big takeaways for me for the Good Samaritan. You can't do it. God gives it to you. So by way of application, how do we live this out in our life today? A few thoughts. What about listening to someone when you're in a rush? You ever been in a rush and someone wants to have a deep conversation and you're like, gotta go, gotta go. Or you see that same person every time that always wants to have a long conversation. Maybe showing God's love is listening. What about visiting one of the widows or shut-ins of the church? Would that be showing God's love to someone that needs it? What about spending time with someone who's hostile to the faith? Maybe even adding them on your Facebook. Ouch. What about helping a mom or a single mom with her chores? We've got a lot of moms in the church. They have a lot of kids, and some, some have few, some have many. But what about loving on a mom or a single mom and saying, listen, get out. I'm going to help you do your chores today. What about taking a senior adult to a doctor appointment? Maybe they're nervous about a checkup, and maybe, maybe they can drive, but maybe you go with them. What about taking a couple out that's having problems with their marriage? We had someone recently in our church that knew of a couple that was struggling, and they spent the day after church with them, took them to their house, hung out with them, and loving on them. What about taking a homeless person out to lunch? Instead of giving a handout, you say, why don't, why don't we come in this restaurant and I'll buy your meal if you share your story. What about loving those who are not feeling loved right now? You know, we have some people that have lost parents or spouses and they're alone for Thanksgiving. Would it be good Samaritan of you to reach out to those who have no one to spend the holidays with and say you can spend it with me? So the sermon in a sentence, we've got it on the screen here. The essence of God's law is what? Loyal love towards God and towards others. If you want to summarize it into four letters, LGLP, love God, love people. And remember, none of us have perfectly done that, so that's why we need God's grace. Let us pray. Father, your word is powerful. 
your word is convicting, and Lord, I'm the first to admit I fall short. Even as I was preparing this message, I didn't show love as I should until you sent two people to convict me and the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, as I as I confess my sin, I pray that there's others here today that would say, Timothy, you know, God's convicted me and I haven't loved as I should. Please forgive me. Please help me realize the essence of God's law is not legalism, is not rules, but it's love. And if I love God and I love people, I'll fulfill God's law. I will begin to live it out. So, Father, help us, forgive us. Cleanse us. As the believers continue to pray, there may be one here today that when I said you to get to heaven, you have to be perfect. And you realize you haven't been perfect. And you're just like the lawyer. You're backpedaling and you're trying to justify. But the only other way other than being perfect is to receive Jesus who is perfect into your life. If you've never done that, friend, we give you the chance every week right where you're sitting. Say, Jesus, I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. I've blown it. And I realize I won't have salvation apart from Jesus. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. You were buried and you rose again to victory. So Jesus, I place my faith in you. I turn from my sin and I pray that you'd give me a new start. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family. Father, help us as our big takeaway. Help us to realize that we're to love you and love people with everything, heart, soul, strength, mind, emotion, passion, intellect, everything we got. Help us to love you. And where we fall short in any of those areas, help us to grow in those areas where we're weak. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, amen. This time if you'll stand, we're going to have our hymn of response. I'll be at the front. Miss Judy will be at the front. Our prayer team. If you have any prayer needs as we sing this song, we want to pray for you. You may have someone that you're to show love in your life. And you're you're like me. You're struggling. But God's telling you to reach out to them. You may need prayer. We'll be here to meet you at the front. Come as the Lord leads.